Welcome back to Ball With Y'all, the Monday edition of our show. We are so excited that you chose to join us, whether that's on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, or on YouTube at BWY Productions. We are officially in the beginning of week zero, just five days away from kickoff with with a number of games, FAU, Charlotte, and a number of other programs across the country. And then, of course, just a week away from that, from the beginning of the big, big week one games as well. And, of course, just a few days away from the end of the NASCAR regular season. But without further ado, let's get into our show by kicking off with Let's Crack It Open. So, Zach, this has been a, a topic that I've I've been excited about for a while. In fact, when we were preparing for the show, this is one of the first topics that we discussed. And here we are now to actually get into it. And it's pretty exciting. This is something that's near and dear to my heart because there are a number of programs in the SEC. When you're as good as the SEC is, you're one of the programs who are at the cream of the top, at the cream of the crop, yet they can't win the championship. They can't win it because they don't get the opportunity to or because they – they, they lose at the last second or whatever else the case may be. So today, to begin our show, we're going to get into the best SEC teams that never won national championships. Now, Zach, in making your list, what helped a team qualify to make your list as a, as a best team that never won a national championship? Well, obviously the record of the team uh, plays a big role in it. Um, but I think also the level of players that are on that team, statistical rankings, offensive and defensively, and how that team finished at the end of the year. Um, I actually have a couple of teams on my list that didn't even make the conference championship game of that year. But where they were ending at the end of the year, I think they could have beat just about anybody. Fair. All right. Well, I said let's get into it. Uh, I'll start with my number five. We're only going to go through five teams each because we don't want to be here all day. I'll go with my uh, with my number five. I've got the 2004 Auburn Tigers, right? Um, for those of you who may not be familiar with that team, they were an incredible team that that uh, ran the table and ultimately was was an incredible asset to the SEC and looked strong in the in the national landscape as well. But Zach, correct me if, correct me if I'm wrong, but the problem there was there were two other really good teams that year as well that kind of put them on the outside looking in. Yeah, we had undefeated Oklahoma and undefeated USC. And undefeated USC absolutely raked Oklahoma in the national championship over the Coles. I mean, not even a close game at all. Uh, I think that leaves it definitely open as one of the what, biggest what ifs. What if undefeated Auburn gets into the national championship? What if we have a playoff that year? How do those games look? And I think that was obviously an early sign that we needed a playoff of some sort. Not, and we'll get into some of that as we continue to go through our, our top fives here, but that Auburn Tigers team, just imagine what could have happened if they'd been given the opportunity. Now, most people would say, well, they would have lost to Oklahoma or USC or whoever else, but they weren't even given the opportunity to do so and ultimately ended up playing Virginia Tech in, uh, in I believe, the, the Sugar Bowl that year, uh, winning 16-13, finishing 13-0, a 13-0 team that never got to play for a national championship. It's, it's, it's a travesty, to say the least, but it's okay because it's Auburn, right? It's, it's whatever. Could be worse. <laughs> Maybe for you, it's okay. <laughs> Zach, what, what, what's your what's your fifth uh, team? Okay, well, I'm going to follow suit here, and I'm going to put down 2013 Auburn, um, the team that almost won the national championship, which I think automatically qualifies them for this list. Uh, the team with the kick six, the team who ran through Missouri in the SEC championship game, the team who had a high flying offense, 
and just couldn't stop Jameis Winston and that team of destiny at FSU. Um, thinking back on that year, uh, they had the unbelievable play against Georgia to win at the last second with the tip pass. Um, a great memory of mine. And then you also had them, obviously, with the kick six. Um, seemed like almost Auburn was a team of destiny, but they seemed to run into a team in FSU who had NFL talent everywhere on the field, which is something that Auburn team honestly kind of lacked overall coming out of that year. Um, and the team of destiny happened to be FSU. I think they played that game 10 times over. Auburn probably wins it nine times. And you have to remember, with a few minutes left in the first half, Auburn was up 21-3 to in that game. And FSU ran a fake punt to get it a first down and then eventually score right before the half to cut it to 21-10 before eventually winning the game on a last-minute touchdown pass. So for those reasons, 2013 Auburn's number five. See, I, I try to forget that that team existed. Uh, for a variety of reasons, and I, and I just can't, can't for whatever reason. <laughs> can't imagine why. Uh, I'll stick in the SEC West for my uh, my fourth team here. The twentieth, the the twenty eleven LSU Tigers. Right, they opened the season beating number eleven Oregon forty to twenty seven in Arlington, Texas. Uh, proceed to run the table throughout the season, beating number twenty Kentucky at the time, beating Alabama on the road uh, nine to six in overtime. Of course, the the game that we all hated but we got through it nonetheless beat Ole Miss a ranked Ole Miss team 52 to 3 and then beat Arkansas uh Thanksgiving weekend uh a ranked Arkansas team with I believe Ryan Mallett was still the quarterback then 41 to 17 ran over Georgia in the SEC championship game and then they have to deal with Alabama again and there's controversy as to whether they should have had to do that right we've talked about it before with Oklahoma State and 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 Stanford some other programs being up in that ballpark but ultimately they drew the Crimson Tide once more and uh, Nick Saban's team had something to prove. And ultimately, you look at that defense for the LSU Tigers, their offense wasn't that inspiring, but they had the Honey Badger back there on that defensive side of the ball, and uh, they were hard to stop defensively and offensively. Even though their quarterback play was not consistent, they were incredibly consistent overall and probably deserved to win a championship that year for less miles, even though he did get one for the Tigers, but perhaps he should have gotten at least one more. I would agree with that. Um, I like that pick. Uh, that 2011 LSU team is on my list. I don't have them at number four, but I do have them coming up. Um, my next team, and you're probably going to react to this and think, well, they should be ranked a little bit high, but I can explain why. Um, I have number four being the 2013 Alabama Crimson Tide. Now, I think, and we know, that team was a kick six away from probably going back to the national championship. But I also look at how that team finished up. They lose the Iron Bowl in heartbreaking fashion and then follow it up by going to the Sugar Bowl and losing to Landry Jones and an Oklahoma team that was not better than them on paper in pretty honestly embarrassing fashion. Um, they made it a little bit closer at the end. But they finished the season ranked seventh. Um, in the final poll, which that does play a factor into it. This also wasn't one of the better Alabama teams offensively for Nick Saban. They finished 17th in the country in points scored. And they also um, finished with a 35th strength of schedule in the country that year. So, yes, I know this is a team that's looked at a lot as like, what if Alabama 2013 is able to get to the national championship? Do they win three in a row? Maybe, but they didn't. 
And I think the biggest test of a team is seeing how they bounce back at the end of the year after a heartbreaking loss. And they didn't. They didn't. They fell flat on their face in the Sugar Bowl against Oklahoma. And for that reason, that's why they slide in at number four. Hmm. Yep, I have <laughs> thoughts on that one. Uh, so Alabama, actually, that, that 2013 team is, uh, is my third team, fittingly enough. You know, at the time, A.J. McCarron was en route to being the first Heisman quarterback for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Mm-hmm. And then and then Nick Marshall and, and Gus Malzahn and, and those Auburn Tigers, they choose to take advantage of the RPO rules of the time and really stretch the limits of the referees, right? They, they, all those things take place, right? They're sewing jerseys on the sidelines. The kick six happens and my dreams are crushed, right? And AJ McCarron doesn't win the national championship. Some dude named Jameis Winston does instead. The rest is history. That team, I mean, Amar, look at the talent on that team. Amari Cooper was on that team. TJ Yeldon was on that team. We all know about AJ McCarron. Some incredible assets on the outside. Just a year removed from that note from that team that beat Notre Dame. That, Keep in mind some of the games they played that year. They opened against Virginia Tech. wasn't all that impressive, but they still beat them in that, I believe, the Chick-fil-A kickoff. Went to Texas A&M. That game, I mean, and Zach, I think we may have watched that game together at the time, and that uh, that took a few years off my life, I'll tell you that. I oh, mean, memories. lots of <laughs> memories there. Uh, whew, what a team that was. And then, of course, <laughs> they they crushed Zach Mettenberger's soul in the LSU game in Bryant-Denny. That team was incredible. And honestly, after the Iron Bowl, I, as a fan, I couldn't have cared less. So I don't blame the players for not caring about that Oklahoma team. Reminds me a lot of 2008 Alabama against Utah, whatever. But ultimately, I can just imagine what that game would have looked like against Jimbo Fisher in 2013 if we had gotten it. But we didn't, and I can forever thank Chris Davis for it. As can I. Um, so, <laughs> jumping on to my, my number three team here. Um, I'm going to go 2012 Texas A&M uh, for a couple of reasons. One, they had the Heisman Trophy winner on that team that year. Two, they went in and beat the eventual national champions at home in Alabama that year. Second or third, they finished that season so strong, beating Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl that year, 41 to 13, finishing the season number five in the AP poll, doing it with the 20th toughest strength of schedule, and also uh, becoming the fifth highest scoring offense that year in a top 30 defense. Um, Johnny Manziel, I think, honestly, that might be one of the best seasons in not only SEC history and college football history, despite him having a better year the next year statistically-wise. Anyway, um, 2012 A&M to me, they don't lose that second game early in the year. They're playing in the national championship and probably winning it, in my mind. Johnny Manziel, Mike Evans, Ryan Swope, those guys knew how to play. Cliff Kingsbury's calling the plays. Kevin Sumlin is going, I can't believe this. I just am going to get paid so much money. I have no idea what the heck I'm even doing, as we saw post-Johnny Manziel. So, um, yeah, 2012 A&M slots in at number three for me. Johnny Football, Mike Evans, beating Alabama on the road, finishing strong, kicking the teeth out of Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. For those reasons, they're number three for me. I will. Uh, I'll stick with 2012. That year brought a lot of, of of incredible teams, and honestly, we could look at a lot of what ifs on the national scale that year. Think about Kansas State, right? 
losing to Baylor. I believe it was uh, was it was it Oregon that was up there at that point in time as well that lost to Stanford at the last minute. Um, a number of teams, of course, we know Notre Dame losing the national championship that year. A number of teams that that were just on the cusp of potentially reaching that glory. But from an SEC lens, you know, you you mentioned A and M. I I have to look at the Georgia Bulldogs. They were probably one or two plays away from playing for the national championship. We we all know we've seen we've seen the replays a million times over that that all time SEC championship game against AJ McCarron, against Amari Cooper, against TJ Yeldon, against Barrett Jones, and they're out there. They have a last minute drive to try to take over the lead. They get down the field, get down to the well, like the five yard line, the seven yard line, somewhere in that neighborhood. Aaron Murray's pass is going straight to the back of the end zone. C.J. Mosley jumps up, tips it. It falls into the gracious, gracious arms of Chris Conley. He does me the greatest favor ever and catches the ball. He falls inbounds. <laughs> he, of course, allows the clock to roll out, and the game is over. And we have to know that whoever wins that game is going to beat Notre Dame in the national championship game. So that could have been Mark Rick's opportunity to get a championship at Georgia and ultimately didn't pull it off. And it's kind of crazy to think about. Again, did those what-ifs, like you mentioned, Georgia was about seven, five, seven yards away from winning it all and a tip pass to terminate. And uh, definitely, definitely would have beaten Manti Teo and his fake girlfriend in the national championship. That is tough. Um, <laughs> I like that pick. Um, 2012 Georgia to me, yeah, that's a close one. Um, Georgia's going to Georgia. That is, without a doubt, what they will always do. Um, unless it's last year. Remember that? Um, the number two <laughs> I had to throw that in there. The number two team uh, on my list is one that you've already mentioned. It's 2011 LSU. Obviously, you mentioned it kind of earlier. I kind of you, you touched on it all. The nine to six win over Alabama, and then getting shut out in the Superdome in Louisiana for the national championship. But I wanted to just go over some stats for them that year. They had the number two defense in the nation, giving up only eleven point three points a game, and had a top twenty offense that I don't remember this being the case, but scored thirty five point seven points a game. Um, for me, I mean, you beat Alabama once. You're not going to beat them again. Um, it's tough to beat the same team twice in a season, especially if it's Nick Saban on the other sideline. Um, but for the mo- reasons you mentioned it too, and for those reasons I just mentioned as well, LSU 2011, it's got to be the one of the best teams that didn't win a national championship in the last 15, 20 years or so. To wrap up my top five, um, now I've, I thought of multiple teams, right? And I thought there were multiple teams that could fill this spot. I thought of Georgia 2017. I thought of Alabama 2019. I thought of of, of a number of teams in, in, in this recent history. But I would be remiss if I did not go with the 2016 Alabama Crimson Tide. That team, of course, was led by Jalen Hurts. He was coming off of uh, – I mean, he was the freshman of the year in the SEC. As you might recall, he didn't start that opener against USC. His first snap, he fumbled it. And they still won fifty-two to six against the against the Trojans. Uh, proceeded two weeks later against <laughs> Ole Miss in a in a, a ridiculous game where Chad Kelly's out there fumbling, throwing interceptions to Jonathan Allen, doing ridiculous things. Eddie Jackson's returning punts for touchdowns. I was the second ranked one of the season. Proceeded to win ranked games on the road against Arkansas, on the road against Tennessee, 
and then also uh, at home against the Auburn Tigers, beating Florida in the in the uh, SEC championship. Not really given Washington much of a game in the Peach Bowl, and then uh, losing on the last play to the Clemson Tigers via a pick route that was illegal, but nobody chose to call it. And my dear friend Hunter Renfro, I, 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 I don't oh, think don't I saw worry, that. I'll, pick, I'll show you? it to you after the show. Don't worry. <laughs> Are you talking about the, the pick that uh, Bryce Young threw in the national championship against mm, Georgia? Nope, that nope, pick? Not that one. Not that one. The other one. The other one. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No I must have forgotten. I'll, I'll, I'll show you. <laughs> but overall, this was an incredible team. That defense was incredible. If you remember Jonathan Allen, uh, Tim Williams was on that defense. I believe Deron Payne was on that defense. They were, they were incredible across the board. And uh, now, granted, they were coming off of the championship in 2015. And then little did we know it was going to take place in 2017. But uh, that 16 Alabama team was was really special, especially because that was when Jalen Hurts was good. And then he decided to be terrible the year after and 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 then the following years until he went on to Oklahoma. So um, 2016 Alabama holds a near and dear place in my heart, even though they didn't win a championship in the end. That's fair. And I think you, you might have had a better list than me. Um, I'm actually going to mention a team that neither one of us has mentioned for my number one spot. Um, and you probably will have some object- objections to it, and that's fine. But I really think this team could have beaten all the teams that we've listed on the list so far. And that team is the 2009 Florida Gators. Um, looking at those stats, okay. First off, finished 13-1 and that year. They're going to be finishing ranked number three in the nation, which is one of the highest rankings of all the teams we've mentioned that year. They had... A top 10 offense scoring 35.9 points a game. They had the fourth best defense, only giving up 12.4 points a game. They had a strength of schedule, eighth in the entire country that year. Tim Tebow, arguably the greatest college football player of all time, leading that team to a 12 0 regular season without hardly any blemish in any game. Obviously, Saban had the number of the Gators in the SEC championship game that year. And handled them pretty well. I believe 33-13. Does that sound about right? 32-13. There we go. Okay, so see, even better. Less points that they lost by. Um, <laughs> and then they went into the Sugar Bowl. And I look at this and I compare it to 2013 Alabama, who had their championship taken away in the last seconds, in the last game before bowl season against Auburn. I compare those two uh, kind of synonymously because of, how Florida responded. And I talked about that earlier as to why my list is going to be this way because it's how teams finish the year. They go into that Sugar Bowl. They play number five Cincinnati, undefeated, coached by Brian Kelly, who we know is a great coach. Florida has nothing to play for. They're a national championship threat who blew it in the SEC championship game against Alabama. And they went out there and won 51-24 to against a Cincinnati team that had everything to play for, that could have won their first BCS Bowl at the time, who could have really shocked the world, honestly. And forgive me, it was Cincinnati who was ranked fourth, actually. Um, For that reason, I really think, also, too, you play Florida-Alabama again that year, Florida gives them a better game than Texas did in the national championship. And I really think that 9 Alabama team is one of the best teams that's come across in the last 15 years. So having that be your only loss speaks volumes to me. And then going out there after you lose everything you've been playing for, training for, for the last year, 
and putting an absolute whooping on Cincinnati in a game that mattered way more to them than it would for you, historically speaking. That, to me, puts Florida as the best SEC team in recent memory to have not won the national championship. You know, I got to say, you, you wouldn't tell me who your top team was going into this, and I now understand why. Uh, that's a pretty good pick, though. Looking at their roster, I mean, we know about Tebow. Looking at the running back room, it was stacked. Looking at the receiving court, stacked. I mean, Riley Cooper, Aaron Hernandez, uh, Chris Rainey. I mean, it just keeps going and going. Their kicker, Caleb Sturgis, he was a he was an all time pro when he was up in the, at the at the NFL level. Mm-hmm. And to your point about giving giving Alabama a better game than Texas, we all know, of course, Kurt Colt McCoy got hurt in the national championship game. Would have changed the narrative, but it felt like kind of similar to 2012. That SEC championship game was the national championship game. Absolutely. And I think 2009 Alabama and 2009 Florida are two of the better teams that have played the last 15 years. And just looking back one more thing at the Sugar Bowl, Tim Tebow in his last collegiate game there, here's his stats for that game. In a game that really had nothing to do with his legacy or anything to do with Florida, 31 of 35, 482 yards and three touchdowns. Oh, and he also rushed for 51 yards and a touchdown as well. So that, to me, kind of speaks volumes about like the kind of team they had as compared to a team like the 2013 Alabama team or other teams that we've seen had really good regular seasons, lose the game late in the season that keeps them out of championship potential, come back out and absolutely put a whooping on somebody just because they wanted to and they could. Well, and I think to that point as well, as you might recall, I'm pretty sure that Cincinnati team had a Heisman Trophy candidate in the form of, I think it was Tony Pike. Um, I believe he was. I believe you're correct. He was up there in the Heisman Heisman uh, votes toward the end of the season. So th- they weren't playing any slouches on the other sideline, and and Florida, Florida was impressive to say the least. Not at all. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so that's my list. I feel like you might have got me there. I tried to go a little bit more off the beaten path <laughs> to make things a little bit more interesting, but I like both of our lists. I feel like we both covered a lot of SEC history and a lot of heartbreak for some fans listening who remember those teams thinking that could have been the year for them. I mean, I think the big takeaway for me is that we know that the SEC has been dominant since, what, 2007 when it comes to the national sphere. 2006? Just imagine. Yeah, since 2006. Imagine how if if half of the teams we just listed and won national championships, how that, that narrative could be even stronger than mm-hmm. it is right now. Absolutely. Um Flip that Alabama-Auburn game. Alabama beats FSU. Uh, think about it too. Look at 2014, the Alabama team that fell apart against Ohio State. I think they go into that national championship and win that year, too. I mean, you could have had a run there where Alabama won four in a row. I would have given up at college football at that point, so thank you. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, to your point, we've said it already on the show. The SEC is the best conference, and it has been since we can remember as kids. And it remains to be that case every single year with two of the last five national championship games featuring two SEC teams. Yeah. And I would even go a step further to point out, you know, if we could date this as back as early as 2004 with Auburn, we could, we could mm-hmm. say our dominance as a conference has, has stretched, you know, nearly two decades at this point in time. And, uh, and I think that's, that's really encouraging actually for the direction that ball with y'all is going this year. Only can go up. Only can go up. Well, that'll do it for Let's Crack It Open. Let's pass it over to NASCAR, one to go. White flag, next point ended. 
So NASCAR one to go is going to be pretty brief today for a couple different reasons. One, uh, we're pushing 25 minutes here of just football coverage, so I don't think we need to go too far into the NASCAR world. And second, uh, Zach and I, we didn't actually watch the race this past Sunday. We watched uh, not too much of it. I was on a boat, and Zach was uh, traveling for ball with y'all business. So suffice to say, we don't have much to analyze, but we do have a lot of takeaways. So, uh, Zach, what were your key takeaways? What do you expect to see this coming Saturday at Daytona? And who do you expect to win at Daytona this Saturday? Okay, so... Fast thoughts on what we saw today at Watkins Glen. Number one, teammates. Wow. I mean, I don't know what you could potentially predict anymore in this season. Um, Seeing Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott go back and forth and Kyle Larson basically just moving him right out of the way. Um, I think it also speaks a lot to Kyle Larson's desperation at this point in the season. He is not anywhere as fast as he was last year. Uh, But once again, Hendrick is a class of the field. Um, and I think that's a big step for them to go into the playoffs having dominated another road course race like they did all of last year with Larson and Elliott winning almost every single road course last year. That's something that they needed. Uh, the other takeaway I had, Kimi Raikkonen, that performance in that car is going to open the door up for tons of F1, IndyCar, IMSA drivers to jump into NASCAR to get in that car uh, because Trackhouse brings cars that goes fast at road courses. That's going to bode well for them, and that's going to be really well for the sport as well because of the excitement that he brought today just being at the track. Uh, final look at the playoff standings going into Daytona. Listen, Blaney, I think, has that thing on ice pretty much. He's got a 25-plus point lead on Martin Truex Jr. I think Blaney runs in the back, gets through the stages, and then goes up and races there at the end depending on what he needs to do. I think in his mind... Go out there, make it to the end of the race, then go for the win. You may have to anyway because you can't just sit back and ride with a 25-point lead on tricks if you're the 16th guy in because somebody new could go in. For Daytona, obviously everyone but Corey LaJoy and Cody Ware, that's a full-time driver, is available to go win a race and qualify for the playoffs. 15 spots are locked up. We can't wait to be there. I know Sean's first time to Daytona. It's going to be pretty fun to have him there with me. And we got a good group of people going, so ball with you all be there in force. But... Looking ahead to Daytona, prediction-wise, man, I think we're going to see a lot of guys that are in a must-win situation be at the front of the pack. I honestly think we're going to see a repeat winner, and I think it's going to be a Hendrick driver, and that's why I am picking William Byron to go into Daytona, rebuild that momentum, and carry it straight into the playoffs. I think Ryan Blaney gets that 16th and final spot into the playoffs, Gets through the race pretty smoothly. I think Truex gets taken out in a big one, like he almost always does on the super speedways. But we see an amazing race that comes down to the wire, but not a 16th winner before we get to Darlington and to the playoffs. That's our look ahead. Yeah, so uh, I think I'll, I'll start where, where you started, Zach. Um, the Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson situation. Now, I could sit here and waste my breath on the man that is Kyle Larson, but as I think I've gotten across on this microphone before, Kyle Larson is not worth the waste of breath. He is a he's a hack that can't win without clearing out his teammate. This is the second time this year where Kyle Larson has cleared out Chase Elliott so he can go get a win. And keep in mind, he's only won twice. So I guess the magic potion to win a race in NASCAR this year is to clear out your teammate. You know, somehow Alex Bowman could still win without clearing out his teammates. Somehow Chase Elliott has done it four times, yet 
Kyle Larson simply cannot manage to win a race without clearing out his teammate. And honestly, looking back at last year, this is not a new trend. I can think of numerous times where Kyle Larson was going out there and running races differently against his teammate Chase Elliott than Chase would run against Kyle. Numerous times where Chase would would be more favorable to Kyle and Kyle would not return the favor. Numerous times where Chase would do favors for Kyle so he could go out there and win races. I'm thinking particularly at Bristol 2021 in the fall. And Kyle never returned the favor. And here we are. Chase is having a great run. His first great run at a road course in a better part of 13, 14 months. And his teammate, of all people, his teammate clears him out. I'm not surprised. And honestly, it's kind of comforting to me to know that Kyle Larson knows that he cannot win a race without clearing out his teammate. That he knows that Chase Elliott is better than him and that he has to clear him out. To win the race. So going into the final race of the regular season, I'm pretty confident that my driver is still in the leading position for Hendrick Motorsports, even though his teammates may be nipping at his heels just a tad. Now, as far as Daytona goes, yes, Zach said this is my first Daytona experience. I'm pretty excited about it, to say the least. Uh, There's a lot to unpack here, as you might imagine. Uh, Ryan Blaney, of course, like Zach said, has that 25-point lead. I would not be be feeling too safe about that right now, honestly. You never know what could happen. He could wreck on lap two. Martin Truex Jr. finishes second. Martin Truex is in the playoffs. Or Martin Truex Jr. goes out there, wins the first two stages, and Blaney doesn't get any stage points. Martin Truex Jr. finishes five spots better. All of a sudden, Martin Truex Jr. is in the playoffs. There are a number of, of, of avenues for Blaney to make the playoffs and, and Truex and so on. But I'm going to take a step further and say that neither of them are going to make the playoffs. In fact, I will say that we get a new winner this week, just to get a little bit more chaos in there. And it's it's a it's a driver who has had countless strong runs at super speedways, and he's actually, at Daytona, finished second twice in a row. In the last two races, he has finished second, which is why I am going to run with Bubba Wallace to win at Daytona this week, to follow up his win at Talladega last year on super speedways, and sneak his way into the playoffs on the final regular season race of the year, going to Darlington where who knows what the heck will happen. And uh, we'll see how that unfolds. Now, a couple quick programming notes. Zach mentioned, and I mentioned, that we'll be at the Daytona race this coming Saturday, which means we'll be heading up on Friday, so there will be no Friday show this week. So the next time you'll hear our beautiful voices will be on August 29th, next Monday. Of course, that is after week zero, so we'll have week zero breakdown. We'll, we'll go into what we expect to see in the NASCAR playoffs and so on, so that will be a jam-packed episode. I encourage you to check it out then. Now, in between then, of course, I always encourage you to check out our social media channels, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We are on just about everywhere, as well as YouTube at BWI Productions. As always, I appreciate you allowing us to talk some ball with y'all, and we'll catch you next time.